51. Eight of those animals. Now, before he took upon himself to become an emancipationist, he might one cannot help thinking have had the decency like St. Fowl Buxton to sell his slaves to somebody else, and to come into court with clean hands, but so far from doing so, the idea having discovered that Julie is a runaway slave from Vincent's estate, just as she is ending the first act by going to be married, the latter takes the whole of the second act to claim her, though the argue fears change sides on account of the change of affairs Vincent insisting, as liberals so often do, upon his vested rights and Julie as opposed to Pelham's matrimonial ones though the heroine renders her pathetics affecting by a prostration or two before the rivals though she rushes upon a parapet to commit suicide though she is saved, and at length succeeds by force of mere argument to get her newfound master to give her up to her husband, yet this second act was somewhat dull, insomuch that the audience did not seem to regret when the curtain dropped the subject, and announced their own emancipation from the theater, besides the parts we have named, Webster the Elder played a Telemachus Hardy, who, further than skipping about the stage, talking very fast, and making himself not altogether disagreeable, had no more to do with the piece than his namesake, or Fenelon Archbishop of Cambrai himself. This attempt to discuss mood points upon the stage to turn as it were the theater into a debating society will certainly not succeed. Audiences especially Haymarket ones have a taste for being amused rather than reason with, besides, those on that side of the question which the author chooses shall be the weaker, do not like to see the stage orators get the upper hand, without having a chance of answering them, even dancing is preferred by them to didactics, though it be punch, though are the London C-H-A-R-I-V-A-R-I, Volume 1, for the week ending November 13, 1841, The Birth of the Prince of Wales, by the Observer's Own Correspondent. It will be seen that we were not premature in announcing the probability of the birth of a Prince of Wales, and though it was impossible that anyone should be able to speak with certainty, our positive tone upon the occasion serves to show the exclusive nature of all our intelligence. We are enabled now to state that the Prince will immediately take, indeed he has already taken, the title of Prince of Wales, which it is generally understood he will enjoy at least if a child so young can be said to enjoy anything of the kind until an event shall happen which we hope will be postponed for a very protracted period. The Prince of Wales, should he survive his mother, will ascend the throne, but whether he will be George V, Albert I, Henry IX, Charles III, or anything the nothings, depends upon circumstances we are not at liberty to allude to at present nor do we think we shall be enabled to do so in a second edition. Our suggestion last week, that the royal birth should take place on Lord Mayor's Day, has, we are happy to see, been partially attended to, but we regret that the whole hog has not been gone, by twins having been presented to the anxious nation, so that there might have been a baronetcy each for the outgoing and incoming Lord Mayors of Dublin and London, perhaps, however, it might have been attended with difficulty to follow our advice to the very letter, but we nevertheless think it might have been arranged, though if others think otherwise, we, of course, have nothing further to say upon the matter alluded to, we very much regret to make an announcement, and are glad at being the first to do so, though we are sorry to advert to the subject, touching an alarming symptom in the Princess Royal, Her Royal Highness, ever since the birth of the Prince, whom we think we may now venture to call her brother, has suffered from an affection of the nose, which is said to be quite out of joint since the royal stranger for we hope we may take the liberty of alluding to the Prince of Wales as a stranger, for he is a stranger to us, 
at least we had never seen him came into existence. We hear it on good authority that when the princess was taken to see her brother, her royal highness, who begins to articulate a few sounds, exclaimed, Tar, with unusual emphasis, it is supposed, from this simple but affecting circumstance, that the Prince of Wales will eventually become a Tar, and perhaps regain for his country the undisputed dominion of the seas, which, by the by, has not been questioned, and probably will not be, in which case the naval attributes of his royal highness will not be brought into activity, fashionable intelligence, Master Smith took an airing on the 5th, accompanied by a Guy Fox and a very numerous suite, in the evening there was a select circle, and a bonfire, Mr. Baron Nathan and family are still at Cummington, the Baron danced the college hornpipe, last Wednesday, on one leg, before a party of private friends, and the Honorable Miss Nathan went through the Krakowian, amidst 24 coffee cups and an inverted pitcher, surmounted by a very long champagne glass. Upon inspecting the cups after the graceful performance was concluded, there was not a chip upon one of them. The champagne glass, though it frequently rattled in its perilous position, retained it through the whole of the dance, and was carefully picked up at its conclusion by the Baroness, who we were happy to find looking in more than her usual health, and enjoying her accustomed spirits. Bill Banks has a new feline provisional equipage ready to launch. The body is a dark black, and the wheels are of the same rich color slightly picked out here and there with a chalk stripe. The effect altogether is very light and pretty, particularly as the skewers to be used are all new, and the board upon which the hopworths are cut has been recently planed with much nicety. The traveling menagerie at the foot of Waterloo Bridge was visited yesterday by several loungers. Amongst the noses poked through the wires of the cage, we remarked several belonging to children of the mobility. The spirited proprietor has added another mouse to his collection which may now be pronounced the first speaking. Of course, Sir Zydikley in entering London. Songs for guitars, the variable climate of our native land, as Roland the minstrel of Macassar has elegantly expressed it, like a Roman epicure, deprives our nightingales of their tongues, and the melodious denizens of our drawing rooms of their sweet voices, vainly has crivelly raised a bulwark of lozenges against the demon of guitar. Soreness will invade the throat and noses run in every family, seeming to be infected with a sentimental furor for blooming we presume from being so newly blown. We have seen noses chiseled, as it were, from an alabaster block, grow in one short day scarlet as our own, as though they blushed for the continual trouble they were giving their proprietors, whilst the peculiar intonation produced by the conversion of the nasals into liquids, and then of the liquids ultimately into mutes, leads to the inference that there must be a stoppage about the bridge and should be placarded, like that of Westminster, no thoroughfare, it has been generally supposed that St. Cecilia with a cold in her head would be incompetent to, nix my dolly, and the erroneous and popular prejudices continually made the excuse for vocal inability during the winter months, now the effect which we had before described upon the articulation of the catard would be, in our opinion, so far from displeasing, that we feel it would amply compensate for any imperfections of tune, for instance, what can be finer than the alteration it would produce in the well-known ballad of Oh, remember we never mention her. A ballad which has almost become wearisome from its sweetness and repetition. With a guitar the words would run us, oh low. We lever belty all heard. Her lebe is lever heard. Struck with this modification of sound. Punch, anxious to cater even for the guitars of his subscribers, begs to furnish them with a colzolette. 
which he trusts will be of more service to harmonic meetings than pectoral lozenges and paragoric, as we have anticipated the cold by converting every Hindu, and every Hindu, a song for a Qatar, why aria illali is like the Sioux, we at the dog flagius its gold ass isles of light upon earth's green and low elephigius, I vi I Sioux, I only w I fro her ass seer full fro, but Sioux as I white prayers biggie, she cries oh no, biggie yes, yes, the birthday of her sub is owed. Oh, oh, bigly. Why aria illali is like the moon. We first her silver she. Awakes the eye gale soft to e that else hand sile tb. But aria illali like darkest night. Obi. Alas. Looks thou. Her esiles o others be their light. Her fro are all wow. I but oe birthday to a wife sub her fro are all wow. Possum up a gum tree. A grand gladiatorial tongue threshing took place lately in a field near Paisley, between the two great Chartist champions Fiaguz O'Connor and the ref, Mr. Brewster. The subject debated was, whether as moral or physical force the fitter instrument for obtaining the charter. The doctor espoused the moral hocusing system, and Fiaguz took up the bludgeon for physical force. After a pretty considerable deal of fireworks had been let off on both sides, it was agreed to divide the field, when Fiaguz waving his hat, ascended into a tree, and called upon his friends to follow him, but, alas, few answered to the summons, he was left in a miserable minority, and the doctor, as the Yankees say, decidedly, put the critter up a tree, Fiagus, being a radical, should have kept to the root instead of venturing into the higher branches of political economy, at all events the doctor, as the Yankees say, put the critter up a tree, where we calculate he must have looked tarnished and ugly. The position was peculiarly ill-chosen for when a fire and faggot orator begins to speak treason. It is only natural that his hearers should all take their leaves, and in divided moiety, the herald gives an account of two persons who were carried off suddenly at Lancaster by a paralytic attack each. We should have been curious to know the result if, instead of an attack each, they had had one between them. The heir of APPLEBIDE. Chapter IX shows that doctors differ, having christened his child, Agamemnon felt it to be his bounden duty to have him vaccinated, but his wife's mother, with a perversity strongly characteristic of the genus, strenuously opposed Drive Jenner's plan of repealing the smallpox, and insisted upon having him inoculated, poor Mrs. Applebite was sorely perplexed between her habitual reverence for the opinions of her mamma and the dread which she naturally felt of converting the face of the infant heir into a plum pudding. Agamemnon had evidently determined to be positive upon this point, and all that could be extracted from him was the one word vaccination, Bailey's, to which Mrs. Wadley got replied, vaccination, indeed, as though the child were a calf. I'm sure and certain that the extreme dullness of young people of the present day is entirely owing to vaccination it imbues them with a very stupid portion of the animal economy, as Agamemnon could not understand her. He again ejaculated, vaccination. My dear, rejoined Mrs. Applebite, Mamma has had so much experience that her opinion is worth listening to, I know that you give the preference to, vaccination, interrupted Columpsion, and so do I, but we had heard of grown-up people who had always considered themselves secure taking the smallpox, dear, to be sure we have, chimed in Mrs. Wadleygott, and it's a very dreadful thing, after indulgent and tender parents have been at the expense of nursing, clothing, physicking, teaching music, dancing, Italian, French, geography, drawing, and the use of the globes, to a child, 
to have it carried off because a misguided fondness has insisted upon vaccination, shouted Pater Columpsion. Exactly, continued the wife's mother. Now inoculate at once, say I before the child's short-coated. Agamemnon rose from his seat, and advancing deliberately and solemnly to the table at which his wife and his wife's mother were seated, he slowly raised his dexter arm above his head, and then, having converted his hand into a fist, he dashed his contracted digitals upon the rosewood as though he dared not trust himself with more than one word, and that one was, vaccination. Mrs. Wadleydott's first impulse was to jump out of her turban, in which she would have succeeded had not the mystic rolls of gauze which constituted that elaborate headdress been securely attached to the chestnut front with which she had sought for some years to cheat the world into a forgetfulness of her nativity. I was warned of this. I was warned of this, exclaimed the disarranged woman, as soon as she obtained breath enough for utterance. But I wouldn't believe it. I was told that the member for Pudding Bree had driven one wife to her grave and the other two drinking. I was told that it would run in the family, and that Mr. A.C. Applebite would be no better than Mr. I. Applebite. Oh, Mama, you really wrong, Maggie, exclaimed Teresa. It's lucky for you that you think so. My dear, if ever there was an ill-used woman, you are that unhappy individual. Oh, that ever I should live to see a child of mine have a child of hers vaccinated against her wish. And here Mrs. Wadley got as it is emphatically styled burst into tears, not that we mean to imply that she was converted into an explosive jet though, but we mean that she she what shall we say, she blubbered, it is really surprising how very sympathetic women are on all occasions of weeping, scolding, and scandalizing, and accordingly Mrs. Applebite opened the fountains of her eyes, and roared in concert with her mamma. Agamemnon felt that he was an injured man injured in the tenderest point his character for connubial kindness, and he secretly did what many husbands have done openly he consigned Mrs. Wadley out to the gentleman who is always represented as very black, because where he resides there is no water to wash with. At this agonizing moment Uncle Peter made his appearance, and as actors always play best to a good audience, the weeping ladies continued their lacrimose performance with renewed vigor. Uncle Peter was a plain man plain in every meaning of the word, that is to say, he was very ugly and very simple, and when we tell you that his face resembled nothing but a half-toasted muffin, you can picture to yourself what it must have looked like under the influence of surprise, but nevertheless, both Agamemnon and the lady simultaneously determined to make him the arbitrator in this very important matter. Uncle Peter, said Agamemnon, Brother Peter, sobbed Mrs. Wadleygott, which are you an advocate for? hystericized Mrs. Applebite. Vaccination or inoculation? exclaimed everybody ensemble. Now whether Uncle John did clearly understand the drift of the question put to him, or whether he conceived that he was solicited to be the subject of some benevolent experiments for the advantage of future generations, it is certain that no man ever looked more positively than Uncle Peter. At length the true state of the case was made apparent to him, and the conclusion that he arrived at reflects the greatest possible credit upon his judgment. He decided, that as the child was a divided property, for the sake of peace and quietness, the heir of Applebyte should be vaccinated in one arm and inoculated in the other. False alarm. We were paralyzed the other day at seeing a paragraph headed, Sithorp's conversion. Our nose grew pale with terror, our hump heaved with agitation. We thought there existed a greater genius than ourselves and that someone had discovered that Sithorp could be converted into anything but a member for Lincoln and buffoon in waiting to the House of Commons. We found, however, that it alluded to a reverend, and not to our colonel. 
Really the newspaper people should be more careful. Such startling announcements are little better than doing the state some service. During the conflagration of the tower, it was apprehended at one time that the portion of it called the White Tower would have shared the fate of the Grand Storehouse. This was however prevented by hanging wet blankets around it, in which capacity Peter Borthwick, Mr. Plumder, Call, Percival, and Lord Castlerick, kindly offered their personal services and were found admirably adapted for the purpose. The Gentleman's Own Book We will now proceed to the consideration of that indispensable adjunct to a real gentleman his purse. This little talisman, though of so much real importance, is very limited in the materials of its formation, being confined exclusively to silk. It should generally be of network, very sparingly powdered with small beads, and of the most delicate colors, such conveying the idea that the fairy fingers of some beauteous friend had wove the tiny treasury. We have seen some of party colors intended thereby to distinguish the separate depository of the gold and silver coin with which it is presumed to be stored. This arrangement we repudiate, for a true gentleman should always appear indifferent to the value of money, and affect at least an equal contempt for a sovereign as a shilling. We prefer having the meshes of the purse rather large than otherwise, as whenever it is necessary mind, we say necessary to exhibit it. The glittering contents shining through the interstices are never an unpleasing object of contemplation. The purse should be used at the card table, but never produced unless you are called upon as a loser to pay. It may then be resorted to with an air of nonchalance, and when the demand upon it has been honored, it should be thrown carelessly upon the table, as though to indicate your almost anxiety to make a further sacrifice of its contents. Should you, however, be a winner, any exhibition of the purse might be construed into an unseemly desire of welling, or securing your gains which of course must always be a matter of perfect indifference to you, and whatever advantages you obtain from chance or skill should be made obvious to everyone are only destined to enrich your valet, or be beneficially expended in the refreshment of cabmen and ladies of faded virtue, in order to convey these intentions more conspicuously, should the result of an evening be in your favor, your winnings should be consigned to your waistcoat pocket, and if you have any particular desire to heighten the effect, a piece of moderate value may be left on the table, cannot do better than find an excuse for a recurrence to his purse, and then the partial exhibition of the coin alluded to above will be found to be productive of a feeling most decidedly confirmatory in the mind of the landlady that you are a true gentleman, the same cause will produce the same effect with a tradesman whose album we beg pardon, whose ledger you intend honoring with your name, you should never display your purse to a poor friend or dependent, or the sight of it might not only stimulate their cupidity, or raise their expectations to an inordinate height, but prevent you from escaping with a moderate deucer by the kind manner in which you slipped a sovereign into their hand at parting. A servant should never be rewarded from a purse, it makes the fellows discontented, for if they see gold, they are never satisfied with a shilling and, I must see what can be done for you. James, should you be fortunate enough to break a policeman's head, or drive over an old woman, you will find that your purse will not only add to the eclat of the transaction, but most materially assist the magistrate before whom you may be taken in determining that the case is very trifling, and that a fine of 5s, will amply excuse you from the effects of that polite epidemic known vulgo as drunkenness. There cannot be a greater proof of the advantages of a purse than the preceding instance, for we have known numerous cases in which the symptoms have been precisely the same, but the treatment diametrically opposite owing to the absence of that incontrovertible evidence to character the purse. None but a parvenu would carry his money loose, 
and we know of nothing more certain to ensure an early delivery of your small account than being detected by a creditor in the act of hunting a sovereign into the corner of your pocket. We have known tailors, bootmakers, headers, hosiers, livery stable keepers, and see, grow remarkably noisy when refused assistance to meet heavy payments, which are continually coming due at most inconvenient seasons, and when repeated denials have failed to silence them. The exhibition only of the purse has procured the desired effect, we presume, by inspiring the idea that you have the means to pay, but are eccentric in your views of credit thus producing with the most importunate done tremendous failure. The editors present their compliments to their innumerable subscribers, and beg to say that, being particularly hard up for a joke, they trust that they will accept of the following as an evidence of a thorough draft. The extreme proficiency displayed by certain parties in drawing spurious exchequer bills has induced them to issue proposals for setting up an opposition exchequer office, where bills may be drawn on the shortest notice, as this establishment is to be cunningly united to the art union in Somerset House. The whole art of forgery may be there learned in six lessons. The manufacture of exchequer bills will be carried on in every department, from printing the forms to imitating the signatures, in short, the whole art of the O'Connell papers. Our extraordinary and exclusive correspondence. We have been favored by the transmission of the following singular correspondence by the new mayor of Dublin's private secretary. We hasten to allay the interesting documents before our readers, though we must decline incurring the extreme responsibility of advising which offer it would be most advantageous for Mr. O'Connell to accept. Letter I, sir. I am requested by the management of the Royal Surrey Theatre to negotiate with you for a few nights' performance in a local drama which shall be written for the occasion, and in which you are requested to represent the civic dignitary in the identical robes which have become immortalized by your wearing. Mr. Dibbon is of opinion that something might be done with Willington and his cat, merely transferring the scene from London to Dublin, and, as he hears your county is highly celebrated for the peculiar breed, sending to Ireland for one of the esteemed Kilkenny species, which would give a greater reality to the dramedies personae and feline adjunct. This is a mere suggestion, as any other subject you may prefer such as the Rebellion of 98, Donnybrook Fair, the interior of the Irish Mansion House, or the House of Commons, can be rendered equally effective. I beg to call your attention to the fact that you shall have a clear stage and every advantage, as Mr. N.T. Hicks will be left out of the cast altogether, or else play a very small dumb villain, so that you need not fear losing your oratorical reputation by being outshouted. Should you feel disposed to accept the terms, one clear half the nightly receipt, pray forward in answer by return, that we may get out a woodcut of the small clothes, and underline the identical stockings, I had the honor to be, your obedient servant, Ben, F-A-I-R-B-R-O-D-H-R, D. O'Connell, Esquire T-R-D-L Sir, the intense interest created in the bosoms of mankind in general by the graphic account of your splendid appearance and astounding performance of the arduous character of the Lord Mayor of Dublin, induces Mr. W.C. McCready to make you an offer of engagement for the performance of Shakespeare's heroic functionary in the forthcoming revival of Richard III, which is about to be produced under his classic management at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Mr. W.C. McCready offers to replace the breeches if cracked in stooping, also to guarantee a liberal allowance of hair powder to fall from the wig, and make the usual effective and dignified huge point while the mayor is bowing to the king. An early answer will oblige your obedient servant, T.J.S.E.R. Riley. P.S. Can you bring your own alderman? 
as we are anxious to do it with the PPS think of the fame and the 12 sheet posters, and be moderate, Theodore Royal, Adelphi, dear Dan, the Adelphi is open to you and your robes, couldn't we do something with a hero from Blarney, and let you be discovered licking the stone, amid tableaus, blue fire, and myriads of nymph like Kate Carneys, or would you prefer an allegory, yourself a merman, or the genius of Ireland, distributing real whiskey and water from the tank, which shall be filled with grog for that purpose, think it over, truly yours, F. Yates, D. O'Connell, Esquire N.C., 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 Theodore Royal, Haymarket, Mr. Webster presents his compliments to Daniel O'Connell, Esquire Mayor and M.P. and begs to suggest, as the rent day was originally produced at his theater, it will be an excellent field for any further dramatic attempt of Mr. Deok. A line from Mr. Deok will induce Mr. B.W. to put the drama in rehearsal. D. O'Connell, Esquire N.C., N.C., Royal Victoria, Sir, as sole receipt of the Royal Victoria I shall be happy to engage you to appear in costume, in the Mayor of Darat, or, for the sake of the name Mayor, any other Mayor you like, if you think all the old ones too stupid, we can look upon something new, and preserve the title, you shall be supported by Miss Vincent and Susan Hopley, with two murders by Masros, Dale and Saville in the afterpiece, awaiting your reply, I remain your obedient servant. D.W.O.S.B.A.L.D.I.S.D.O.N. D. O'Connell, Esquire Royal Pavilion Theatre, Sir. If you mean to come on the stage, come to me. I know what suits the public. If you can't come yourself, send your cocked hat, and Mrs. Denville shall dramatize it. We had a carpenter of your name, we can gag him and gammon the public. As follows, immense attraction. Scenery moved by O'Connell, first appearance of the great agitator. Real cocked hat, yours, and see. H.Y. D.N.V.I.L. Garrick Theatre, Sir. We should be proud to avail ourselves of your professional services to do a little in the domestic and appalling murder line, but our forte is ballet or pantomime, perhaps, as you have your own silk tights. The latter department might suit you best. Our artist is considered very great, and shall convert our Jim along Jose woodcuts into your portrait. We will also pledge ourselves to procure an illuminated cop cap. An early answer. Stating terms, will oblige your obedient servants. G.O.M.E.R.S.A.L. and Conquest. D. O'Connell, Esquire T.R. Sadler's Wells, Sir. Understanding you are about to figure publicly and professionally in London, may I draw your attention to my unique establishment? I can offer you an excellent engagement as the figurehead of a vessel about to be produced in a new nautical drama. It is at present called The Shark and the Alligator, but may be altered with equal effect to The Mayor and the Agitator. Begging a reply, I remain, sir, yours obediently, Harobiardi Honor, D. O'Connell, Esquire P.S., do you do anything in the horn pipeline, a pian for Dan, by one of the finest P.I.S.A. and E.R.E. in the world, we have received the following genuine Irish version of a scene from and for the times, from our own peculiar and poetic correspondent, dear Punch, I beg pardon that yourself I'm now troubling, but I must let you know what I just seen in Dublin. There Daniel O'Connell, mayor and great agitator, has been making a duty of himself, the poor and happy crater, at his time of life, too, tearing downs it's mighty shocking, he shoved eight of his big legs into a span brand new silk stocking, how the devil them cads by any means was thrustin', is a mystery to everyone, without them black silks busting, and instead of a descent trousers hanging to his suspenders, 
he has buttoned up one half of him in a pair of short meanders. Now, Unch, on your oath, did you ever hear the like so that? But oh, holy Paul, if you only seen his big cock hat, stuck up on the top of his jazzy, a mighty elegant thatch, with hair like young deathbergs, all rushing up to the scratch, you must have been diverted, and, Jewel, then he wore a thundering big talioni cut purple velvet rocalore, and who but Mr. Dan cut it fat in all his pride, covered over with white favors, like a gentle blushing bride, and wasn't he followed by all the blackguards for his tail, shouting out for their lives, success to Dan O'Connell and Ripoli, but the old corporation has behaved mighty low and main, as they wouldn't lend him the loan of the ancient Ralgul chain, nor the collar, as they said they thought of Ilburn M. If they'd done so, it was probable Dan never would return M. But, goodbye. I must be off. He's gone to take the chair. So my love to Mrs. Punch. And no more about the mayor. Punch's pee into the P.R.I.N.C.L.E.D. Huzzah. We the little prince at last. A roaring royal boy, and all day long the booming bells have rung their peals of joy. And the little park duns have blazed away. And made a tremendous noise whilst the air hath been filled since eleven o'clock with the shouts of little boys, and we have taken our little bell, and rattled and laughed, and sang as well, Rue to toot, Shalabella, life to the prince, Thalaldorella, our little prince will be daintily swathed, and laid on a bed of down, whilst his cradle will stand neath a canopy that is decked with a golden crown, though we trust when his queenly mother sees her princely boy at rest, she will think of the helpful,